Welcome to the Rhodes Church Podcast. We are so excited to connect with you. We hope that this podcast builds your faith and that you will be encouraged and inspired by this week's message. It's so good to be with you guys this morning. And in Crew Rally, I, I don't know, like, I'm just really like a mess, to be honest with you. Um, in Crew Rally, I was just telling, just kind of sharing that I've just really felt an anxiousness, and it's, and, a, and it's a healthy anxiousness. It's an it's a anxiousness in the Lord. Um, and ever since, even since I heard the news about Israel and what's happening there, I've just really felt that, that God is in the midst of even chaos and adversity, that God is stirring something new that he's stirring something greater than what's happening there. And I don't know about you, but I believe that we've got to be attentive to what the Father's heart is in this hour, or we're going to miss. We're going to miss some things. And I just, because I'm just going to be honest, I haven't always, um, I, I prayed even recently before this, I prayed God, I said, give me a heart, your heart for Israel. Give me your heart for for that for them people just give me that give me your heart and teach me to pray and this was a few weeks ago and then all this happened and God just reminded me and challenged me of the need like he he, he tells us that we're blessed when we pray for Israel right like we're blessed and we're praying for the prosperity within their walls and I mean God is just moving on the hearts of them people and I just I'm just Man, I'm just stirred about that. I'm just stirred about that this morning. And, um, uh, man, we could, we could probably talk about that uh, for a long time. <laughs> but uh, today I want to talk to you um, about eternal longevity. So if you have your Bibles today, go ahead and get those out and turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 24. Woo! Woo! And then while you're going there, go ahead and flip right over the page to Matthew 25. We're going to get right in. Eternal longevity. What does that really mean? As I was, I was thinking about this word today, thinking about when Pastor Chad asked me to speak, um, which was a, few, a couple weeks ago, I, uh, <clears throat> he, he asked me to speak. And I was just immediately, I was just drawn to something that um, has really been stirring in my heart and ministering to me. How, how many of you know that when we speak, that, that God wants us to speak out of the overflow of where we are? Like God doesn't want us to manufacture something that is not his heart. Like when we speak, whether I'm speaking, whether it's this platform or whether it's you at your job or whatever it is, that God's just asking you to speak out of the overflow of your devotion, your commitment, and your love for him. Out of that place, that's the best message that you can ever come up with. So as I was thinking about this, when he asked me to speak, I, I immediately thought of Matthew 24, Matthew 25, the ten virgins. And I was just immediately just, because that's some place that I've really been living for a while and just really allowing it to marinate and, and saturate my heart. And... Um, and I don't know about you, but or is there any of my Jesus book friends in here today? Any Jesus book friends? Woo! Yeah. So uh, anyways, the last 
last week, whenever we ended, um, the last, very last verse there that we had on our Jesus book was Matthew 25. And I was like, okay, God. Like, have you ever, like, wrestled with God? Like, God, like, I don't want to talk about that. I want to talk about this. You know, I don't want to, like, study this. I want to study this. And how many has ever won against God? That'd be the question right there. <laughs> right, right, right. So, so anyways, um, I didn't win. But God just said, I want, you to, I want you to posture your heart. I want you to go into this place with me. And I want to show you what my kingdom is really about. Eternal longevity. And I was telling Pastor Chad yes, or yesterday or Friday, I called him and asked him just a few details, a few questions about today. And um, I went back and I was watching the message from last week. And man, wasn't that just awesome? Wow. I, I mean, truth bombs everywhere. And I went back and wa was watching that on the heading that said Eternal Perspective on YouTube. And I was like, he stole my title. <laughs> but I was actually thinking about Eternal Perspective. And I said, you know what? I changed it to Eternal Longevity. <laughs> so, anyways, um, Matthew chapter 24, we're going to get right into the word this morning. And, uh, Father, we just thank you and we just pray that your word be health to our flesh, strength to our bones. God, we pray that your word would speak to us today in a powerful way. And, Lord, I just pray that it be not my words but your words. I pray that, Father, that you would confirm it with signs following demonstration of spirit and power. Lord, I don't come with persuasive words or words of man's wisdom, but I come today with a demonstration of spirit and power. So, Lord, I thank you today. Hide me behind that cross. Lord, let people not see me, but let them just see the reflection and the example of the Father and his heart for his people. So, Lord, I thank you. It's your name I pray. Amen. Matthew chapter 24, we're going to be in verse chapter, or verse 3, all right? So we're going to go to verse 3 here. We're going to start right there. We're only going to read one verse, and then we're going to flip right over to Matthew chapter 25. And it says here, Matthew 24, 3, it says, Now as he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately. How did the disciples come to him? Privately. I, well, as I was thinking about this, privately... They must have had some kind of connection to him. And how, how many of you know today that God loves those that abide in the secret place? It wasn't like, like they, it wasn't like they didn't want everybody to hear, but it was like they had this intimacy with him already that they felt the need and felt encouraged that they could come to him in private. Like any of us can come to him in private, right? But I'm just thinking if Jesus was walking by right now, would you think that you could like pull him to the side and say, yo, bro, uh, can I have a word with you? Like, like Jesus, you know, walking by, I mean, he's, he's walking by here and we're like, hey, come over here, come over here. I think he would probably be open to that, right? But privately, I think that speaks to our place of our, our connection with him in the, in, the, in the quiet place, in the secret place. So they found that they, they came to him privately and they said to him, they said, Jesus, would you tell us when will these signs be? So he was talking about Matthew chapter 24 and he, or before going on, he's going to say, when will these signs be? The signs of the end of the times, the signs of the times and the end of the age. And he says, when will these things be and what will be the sign of your coming? 
How many is ready for the coming of Jesus? How many can say right now that you are ready? Like you're prepared. Your, your forethought is in the future of the second coming of Jesus. I guess the question would be is, how many knows that Jesus is coming back? When he comes back, he's coming for a spotless bride. He's coming for someone that is living in the secret place. Someone that has cultivated a place of intimacy with him. So he goes on there and, he's, and, and they ask him that question. They say, and when is the end of the age? Now, he goes on and he talks about rumors of wars. He talks about um, perilous or, or troubled times. He talks about how nation will rise against nation, kingdom against kingdom, earthquakes, famines. And he goes on and down to verse 12 and he says this. And because of lawlessness will abound, the love of many will wax cold. That's some powerful, weighty truth. Now listen, we don't want to talk about that stuff in church. Like we want people to tell us how good we're doing and how lovely God is, but we don't want to talk about that whenever we're living in sin or we're living outside of, of God's grace, we're living outside of that, right, that our hearts begin to grow cold. So the Bible says because of lawlessness, that the, that the love of many, it didn't say that the love of all, it didn't say that the love of a certain group, it said that the love of many will grow code. It'll wax code. How many knows today that, that we have a heaven to gain and a hell to shun? There's a heaven and there's a hell. You know, sometimes I don't think we talk about hell enough. We talk about heaven a lot. But sometimes I don't think we talk about hell like we should. Can I just say today that hell is real. There is a place for people when their love for God waxes cold. When lawlessness becomes at its peak. When there's no restriction or no restraints for the law of God in someone's life, the Bible says that the love, that love will grow cold. And I was thinking about this, how we have the governing laws of the land, right? So we have these laws, and if we don't abide by those laws, and we decide that we're going to go 56 instead of 55, I know that you would never do that. <laughs> but we have to expect that there will probably be some kind of consequences when we choose to live outside of the law. Jesus, was, Jesus taught us that what is the greatest commandment? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. What happens if we live outside of that? Have you ever thought about what happens in our life if we live outside of the first commandment? I believe God is resurrecting and stirring a people that has a passion and a fire for the first commandment. Not just in your personal life, but also in your life with your family, your life with your children, your life at your workplace. Your life should be a reflection at your job from you living for the first commandment. 
Because not only do you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, resources, time, all of that, but you also love your neighbor as your... If you don't love yourself, then you'll never know what it's like to love your neighbor. Lawlessness, sin will cause the love of many to wax cold in this hour. God is culminating something greater. Culminating means that he's taking it to a higher altitude. He is cultivating something greater and stirring in a body of people that are not just satisfied with church attendance. I'm being ruined in my life and being convicted because I am not living within the boundaries of the law of Jesus in my heart. You say, well, you're supposed to be perfect because like, you're given a message and all these things. I'm, I'm far from perfect. Jesus is perfect. I'm in pursuit of perfection. I haven't arrived to perfection, but I'm in pursuit of perfection. I don't want to stand before Jesus someday and say that your whole life was outside of the restrictions of my law that should have been in your heart. His law is his word. And we abide by his word. We follow his word. It's truth. Did you know that in Romans it says that, that there was people that exchanged the truth for the lie? They gave up what they knew and they bought into the lie. Church, I don't know about you, but I'm, be, I'm getting a reality check in this hour. Here's what I think God is up to. I'm going to tell you right now what I think God is up to in my life. Maybe not your life, but I think, it's in, I think it could be applied to everybody's life too. Matthew 25, it says, Then... The kingdom of heaven shall be likened. When he's saying then, he says then, after all these great things. I think after all these great things that we see in Matthew 24, he says then the kingdom of heaven shall be like. How many knows today that when it says the kingdom of heaven shall be like, that's a good place for us to reflect from. If we are liking something, then we're going to reflect what we like. If God's, his, his kingdom is kingship, dominion, rule, royal power. So my life should be a reflection of kingship, dominion, rule, royal power, right? He's given me that because I seated, I'm seated in heavenly places with him. Then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened, shall be compared to. We have to stop comparing ourselves to what we see on Facebook. We have to stop comparing ourselves to what we see other people do. Because what other people do may not be the direction to get you to heaven to where God is calling you to. God was speaking to my heart over the weekend when I was thinking about this. And I, I'm not saying that this is for, this, for anyone in this room or I would, I would hate to think about this, but there is many people sitting in church hearing sermons every week that their heart will wax cold in the hour when adversity and pressure becomes greater. 
Because their hearts are not postured. They're not, they're not in alignment vertically. They are looking horizontally. To fill a relationship that only Jesus can fill. There is an hour coming and the hour is upon us. I remember I was thinking about my life that I got saved about 19 years ago. Which some of you have been at this way longer than I am and, and I'd love for you to teach me sometime. But I was thinking 19 years, that's a long time to be saved. Yeah. And when I got saved that day, Jesus was coming back. That's what we said. Anybody with me? When you got saved, did you not hear that Jesus was coming back and he's coming back quickly? <laughs> oh, I got ahead of myself. Ooh, Jesus. It says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened. Oh, man. Ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Can I tell you today that Jesus is the bridegroom? We are his bride. And we are going to marry the bridegroom someday. We better start dress shopping. Now, verse 2. Now five of them were foolish and five were, five were wise. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. So they both had lamps, but some chose to take oil and some chose to not take oil. Some chose to think about cultivating a relationship with God for the endurance of the long haul versus some people didn't think about the fore future of what was going to take place. Only some thought about they were ill-prepared, the foolish. They, were, they didn't have no fore future, no fore knowledge of looking forward. But the wise, the Bible teaches us, the wise, they were prudent people. They were prudent. So we had 10 virgins. We had 10 people that Jesus, I think, I think 10 is definitely a prophetic number. Why? Because 10 speaks to completeness. It's a whole number. And I think we're living an hour just like in the book of Daniel when they said, for 10 days we will abstain. We will abstain for 10 days from the system of the world. We won't allow the culture of the world to leak into our lives. We will abstain from the delicacies of another kingdom and go after the one kingdom. Tracking me? So there were, there, were, there were five wise and five foolish. But the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. Notice what it says there. That there was a delay. How many knows today? How many's ever purchased something in your life? You, how many purchased something from Prime? Just saying it, right? Not, I'm not... Working for them, but I'm just saying, you know, that seems to be the common theme. You've purchased something, and the expectation was it was going to arrive on a certain day. But they decided that 
They couldn't get it there for whatever reason, so there was a delay. It was lingering. The word delay means it was lingering out there somewhere, right? How many, how many knows that if you're waiting for something or if you're tearing for something and you order that thing that you need on the first, but it didn't look, didn't look like it's going to come until the fifth, does that not create some kind of frustration, discouragement, and disappointment? Well, I believe in this hour as he's talking, Jesus is saying that some took oil, some didn't. And when there was a lay, I think the people that were wise and they were prudent, they knew, they, they had some intellect, they had some sensible thoughts to themselves. They weren't just thinking about the moment, they were thinking about what was to come. How many knows that whenever there's a delay in something, sometimes we will revert back to certain ways? When I got saved, Jesus is coming back. Yes! Woo! Let's have a party! But Jesus hasn't came back yet, 19 years later. So something has to happen between the time that you receive him and the time that you meet him. See, we're all waiting on the arrival of Jesus, but I have to question my heart. What am I doing in the time before he comes? Do I have oil? Did I neglect the oil in the beginning to sustain me to the end? I've heard people say this many times. I grew up in, in uh, smaller churches, all right? So I heard people say, they would say, Boy, I just can't wait. I, I just can't wait till I, I got saved 50 years ago, but I can't wait to be buried out in that graveyard out there behind that church. And that was their only focus. They couldn't wait after they got saved to go get to be buried in the graveyard behind the church. Now, if you said that, that's, that's no condemnation. I'm just saying that Jesus didn't say, get saved and then wait for me to come. He said, you're on a journey. I'm reminded of a story. How many's ever ran the Boston Marathon? No hands. How many wants to run the Boston Marathon? Running is a love-hate relationship. I like to train people, you know, through fitness, but you start talking about getting on the treadmill and running, you're fired. Anyway, but here's the thing. Cardio just is really back in. Um, so anyways, the Boston Marathon, look it up. There's a place in the Boston Marathon about the 20th mile. It's called Heartbreak Hill. That became known as a, as a monumental place in that race, I think in 1963, by a man named John Kelly. He was running along in the Boston Marathon, and at mile 20, they didn't realize, the leader didn't realize, I guess, that there was a slight half-mile incline. So as they're running along, and he's running this race, this is not a sprint, right? This is a marathon, at the 20-mile marker, I've ran half marathons before. I've never ran a marathon. But I've ran half marathons, and I know about the 17th mile, you start to get really fatigued. 
really fatigued. So I'm thinking at the 20th mile, I got six miles to go. All right? So it's 26 miles. So you're running, and you see that hill. Well, what John Kelly did was is he got some kind of a burst of energy that he had been restoring up inside of him somewhere because when he went up that hill, he bursted up that hill and patted the leader on the back. He gave him a little encouragement as he went by. So now they call it heartbreak hill because I guess the guy says that it really broke his heart the way that the guy came by and patted him on the back. I don't want anyone to pat me on the back. I want to be the one that's going first. I want to be the one that's leading the way and paving the way for the people to come. I want my lamp to be so full of oil that it's just flowing over. Did you know that the lamp represents your ministry? The oil represents the Holy Spirit, which gives you revelation for God's word and the power for ministry. If you don't take the oil, you're not taking his truth. And you have no power for what God is calling you to do. But when you make a decision that I'm going to take oil, because this is not a sprint, this is a marathon. I'm going to take the oil. I'm going to take the extra. I'm going to overflow in that extra. And when I do that, I'm in it for the long haul. I'm not going to go out. Here's what it says. It says, while there's a delay, they slumbered and they slept. That's a common process, right? To get tired, to get fatigued. 2020 was a, was a tough, tough year for a lot of people. But I think in 2020, if one thing I've learned even talking to people is it didn't draw definitely people closer to Jesus. It drew them farther from Jesus. Maybe that's just the circle that I've talked to and, and I'm in, but there's people that are still slumbering, people that are still asleep. And I believe God is saying today to rise up, wake up, church, wake up. And the Bible says in verse 6, and at midnight a cry, any, anybody, any Gold City fans in here? A midnight cry, Southern Gospel, baby. I used to crank that thing so loud when the windows down, and man, we were when I got when I first got saved, midnight cry, man, that was whoo, it was on. Matter of fact, I had to go back and listen to it the other day as I was just sitting here reading this, a midnight cry. Yeah, I want to go back and listen to that. Boy, it encouraged my spirit. Take it on the way home, turn it on, on the way home, roll your windows down and blare it. Well, hold on a minute. <laughs> Okay, and at midnight a cry was heard, behold, the bridegroom is coming. He's coming. How many knows he's coming? Look at your neighbor, tell him he's coming. Go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose, trimmed their lamps. So the notice here that all had lamps. But remember that only the wise took enough oil. But they all had lamps, so they all knew that Jesus was coming back. Everyone in the crowd knew that Jesus was returning. They knew that there was a that he was coming back for his bride. So they all went out. And the Bible says here that they said, And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. 
What happened to the lamps? They went out because they didn't do what? They didn't take oil. They were focused on their public ministry. They were focused on maybe more of their gifts, their talents. They were focused on doing for the Lord instead of doing unto the Lord. Right? How many knows that sometimes we can, do, we, can, we can get so caught up in doing for the Lord and not doing unto the Lord? And the Bible says that their lamps, they had no oil, so their lamps went out. So the next thing that they did was is they began to ask the people. Like, like if I knew Jesus was coming back and I knew this was the moment and I didn't have any oil, that was the right question to ask, right? I'm going to go out and look for some oil. But I wasn't stockpiling something in my heart from the beginning to know that I needed oil to sustain me in this hour. You need oil to sustain you in this hour. It said, and the foolish said to the wise, give us some of your oil. For our lamps are going out. But the wise answered saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us and go, but rather go and to those who sell and buy for yourselves. Notice what it says. It says that they said, we don't have enough to sustain us and you. Go out and buy your own oil. Can I tell you today? Let me tell you something. God began to speak to me that, that the oil that I have in my life cannot be transferred to my kids. Some of us in here are thinking that the oil that our parents had, we're going to make, be able to make that sustain us until we get to heaven. You can't live, I'm, I'm just talking to, to kids, we can't live off of our parents' oil. You have to cultivate and culminate oil in your own life. The oil and the, and the, and, and the cultivating and the cultivating part is you having love, devotion, and commitment and your surrender to God every single day. Out of that place is whenever God begins to put oil into your life. But he says to go and buy oil. Go. Purchase it. Do what you need to do. Like we're going to meet the bridegroom. Like we're having a party. We're going into this place. But the foolish, they didn't take oil for the hour. They didn't think they needed the oil to sustain them. And I think sometimes in the church, I think that's what we've done. We've been so callous to religious spirits. Religion will keep us back from wanting more oil. Religious will tell us, religion will tell us, all you need to do is say a prayer. That's enough to sustain you. No, just saying a prayer is just the beginning. Having a relationship personally with God and knowing that you are in that private group that you can say, Jesus, when will the times and the signs be? Some of us are not even asking that question because we don't know what he's going to say. Or maybe we know what he's going to say. The Bible teaches us that we will know by the seasons, right? No man knoweth the hour of when Jesus is going to return. No man. We don't know the hour. We just know that he's coming. And he's coming back soon. The Bible says in, 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 teaches us in Revelation chapter 12 that it says, Behold, I am coming Quickly. Now, Jesus' quickly and my quickly is evidently not the same. 
What is it, one day without the Lord is a thousand years? <laughs> Do the math on that. 19 years later. <laughs> we have to have something that sustains us in this hour. We can't be the ones like the foolish ones saying, hey, I need oil when he comes back. It's going to be too late. The door's going to be shut. We're going to see in a moment that a door is shutting. He's not looking for church attendance. He's not looking for us to be pretenders. Jesus already told the Pharisees. Remember what he said in Matthew, I think it was 15 or around that. He, said, he told them that you, you, you worship me with your lips, but your hearts are far from me. They're far from me. I believe that we are in this hour. If you differ, that's, that's totally fine. But I believe we're in an hour that we need to be attentive. We need to be sure in our relationship with Jesus. He said, but the wise answer saying, no, lest there should not be enough for us, go sell and buy for yourself. And verse 10, and while they went to buy, the bridegroom came and those who were ready. Everybody say ready. Everybody say get ready. Look at your neighbor and say, get ready. Get ready. That same word that ready in the Greek actually means fitness. It has to do with fitness. We know that Paul talked about discipline your lives. It's going to take disciplinary action on our part, right? We have to discipline our lives in this hour. Ready. we got to be ready. The Bible says that the bridegroom came and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding and the door was shut. They missed the, they, they got the invitation. They knew Jesus was coming, but they failed in the very beginning. It did not start right there. It started at the moment they said, we don't need the oil. When they refused and neglected to take the oil is right when it started. That's not what got them out of and not to be able to go through the door. What, what made them not be able to go through the door was because they did not take the oil in the beginning. Oh, but they had a lamp. <laughs> they had a lamp, all right. But it went out because they did not have enough oil to keep sustaining the flame that was in there. The Bible says, do not quench the spirit. They were stifling their flame was stifled. Why? Because I didn't take oil. We need oil in this hour, church. It says, afterwards, afterward, the other virgins came and said, Lord, Lord, open the door to us. But he answered and said, surely I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. He's coming. He's coming. Let's look at Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to close here. Colossians chapter 2. We have to sustain it. We have to sustain the oil in this hour. We got to make sure that our vessels are full of oil, 
full of his presence, full of devotion to him. The world is going to tell us differently, church. The world is going to tell us differently than what God is going to tell us for sure. Colossians chapter 2, verse 4 says this, Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you. That would be a good sermon title. Now this I say, lest anyone should deceive you. Don't let anyone deceive you. We can't afford to be deceived in this hour that we do not need oil in our vessels. The deception and the lie of the enemy is for you to think and compromise, stay in a place of compromise, stay in a place of comfortable, and be deceived because you did not take oil that can sustain you in an hour in your devotion, your commitment, and your love for Jesus. Do not let anyone deceive you with persuasive words. That's got Satan written all over it. Do not allow people, persons, or things to persuade you into words that are deception. Verse 5, for though I am absent in the flesh, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good. Your good what? Order. What's the good order in this hour that we would have oil and the steadfastness of your faith in Christ? Verse 6, as you therefore have received Christ, as you have received him, planted him, put him in your heart, so walk in him. Notice what it says there, walk in him. Didn't say so that as you have received him, now wait for him. As you've received him, wait for his coming back. You know what God told me? He said there's going to be a lot of people that's going to be, they're not going to be looking for him. They're not going to be cultivating oil, but they're, they're going to be scrolling trying to figure out what's going on. They're going to be scrolling because the Bible says that we will see him. And when we see him, even those that pierced him will see him. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Don't get caught scrolling. And it goes on there. It says, your steadfastness of your faith in Christ, not in popularity, not in church attendance, not in doing just being a good little boy or a good little girl, but in your faith in Christ. Verse 6, as you therefore have received Christ the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him. So now what do I do? I have to walk in him. And out of the place of walking with him, can I tell you today that walking with him produces an expression of the, of the kingdom. You know what that expression is? It's this right here. That we will be rooted and built up in him. And established in faith. You know there's going to be many people. Because we haven't rooted ourselves to think enough. 
that we need oil in this hour to sustain us, that they have no roots. They're not built up in him. They're not established in their faith. We have to be established in our faith. Have you, anybody ever worked with concrete in here? Anybody ever worked with concrete? So you know when you put down, you lay your foundation for your concrete and you make the forms and all that, you put the concrete in there. How many, ever just, how many of you people ever go in there and just step right in it? That would be foolish, right? How many knows that whenever it sets up, it's permanent. When we walk in Him and live in Him, we will be the expression of the kingdom is that we won't have a choice but to reflect Him, be rooted in Him, be grounded in Him, and be established in Him. Notice what it says in, in Amplified Version. I don't know if I got that or not. Maybe I didn't put that up there. Yep, there it is. Have the roots of your being, your being, your spirit, your soul, and your body. See, my body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, but it houses something powerful. And the Bible says for me to live rooted. My roots are to be in my being. That way that, that, that I'm not blown by every emotion or every feeling. We all have feelings, right, naturally. But when we're rooted, we're not going to let those feelings dictate our identity or who we are or where we're going in Christ. He says there to be root, let your roots be in him through prayer, through fasting, through devotion. I think there's a, there's a call to fast in this hour. We've got to be sharp people in this hour. The Bible says that the wise people... The, the, the word wise means that they were prudent. That means that they, were, they had intelligence. They were very sensible. But the foolish people were godless. That's what the Bible says. It, it, the word for foolish means godless. They have a form of godliness. But they denied the power. They neglected the power. They refused to take what was theirs. The oil. So the Bible says there, it says, firmly and deeply planted in him. I was thinking about this in my life, how my relationship with my wife, how whenever we were, we were, we became one, when we became one, there's certain roots that, that the two of us begin to, begin to um, cultivate in our lives. There's certain roots in that relationship that we got. So now there's sometimes where I always tell my wife, I say, you balance me out. Does your wife balance you out, Jerry? <laughs> but, there, but there's certain things, there's certain aspects in our relationship, in our marriage, in our, that, that we've allowed these roots. We know the tactic and the strategy of the enemy. We've put the roots down relationally together so we know whenever the enemy's attacking us. When the enemy's coming against our kids, we recognize together because we have roots together. We recognize together that spirit. I see that spirit. I say, do you see that? Did you see that? You know where that's coming from, right? 
Whenever we have a little disagreement, I know you never have that with your spouse, but when you have a little disagreement and you give them a worshipful hug, But there's certain things that will try to take us off of our foundation, right? So that's why we have to be rooted. That's why we have to be firmly planted, deeply planted. You don't plant plants on the surface. If any of you in here ever did any gardening, you know that you have to go deep, right? You can't just plant things on the surface. And that's what happens many times in our life is we only... We only allow the, to plant on the surface of our relationship with Jesus because we think, you know what? All I have to do is say a prayer. All I have to do is go to church. All I have to do is do this. All I have to do is be a good person. If I can just be a good person, then I know I can go to heaven. If I can just give in the offering, if I can just let people know what I give to the church and, and how much I give, then that will be enough. It's not enough. It says the deeply rooted in him. So you're going to be rooted in him. You're going to be fixed and founded in him, founded in him. Your identity, your purpose, your calling, everything about you is a reflection, an example of Jesus because of these things. That you're being continually, so it's a continual, it's a continual um, process that we have access to. See, not everybody took that because not everybody took the oil. But those that took the oil knows what it means to be continually built up in him. The Bible teaches us to build ourselves up in our most holy faith. How? By praying in the spirit. I got up this morning praying in the spirit. I felt anxious, but I was praying in the Holy Ghost. There was something inside of me. I could feel the, I, even the tension this morning. I was like, God, I'm praying in the spirit. I'm building myself up. And then he goes on there, he says, becoming increasingly more confirmed. Can I say that God wants to confirm you this morning? He wants to confirm your identity. He wants to confirm your purpose. He wants to confirm your marriage this morning. He wants to confirm where you're supposed to go to school, what you're supposed to do, what job you're supposed to take. He wants to confirm some things that you don't need in your life. Sometimes I thank God for the things I don't have because they can be ruin in my life. They can be an idol in my life. But he goes on, he says, increasingly more confirmed and established in the faith just as you once, as you were taught. You were taught with what? What are we taught with? We're taught with the, right here, the truth. We know the truth because the truth will set us free, right? Truth brings freedom. We're sanctified by the truth, right? If we're sanctified by the truth and we know the truth and the truth will set us free and this is the sword of the Spirit, then we know the truth. And the truth will confirm us. It will establish us. And it will keep us abounding and overflowing in thankfulness that we will never lose sight of thanking God every single day, every moment of our life. How much we need a Savior. We need Him. We need Him. We need oil. We don't want to think about longevity. You know, I was thinking about longevity, but longevity and lifespan are two different things. If I don't put oil in my truck the day that I buy it and I never put oil in it, what's going to happen? 
the lifespan that they say that it probably will last is probably not going to last. But if I'm sensible and I'm intelligent enough to know that I got to put oil in my vehicle to make it sustain the long haul and get the lifespan out of that vehicle. Longevity doesn't have a number. Lifespan says it has a cap. Longevity says it could be forever. So not only are we preparing on this earth, but we are preparing on what's to come. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you enjoyed this podcast and would like to give, please visit us at theroads.church. To stay connected, follow us on Facebook and Instagram. You can also subscribe to our YouTube channel to watch our latest sermons.